I can't believe I'm saying this, but we are wrapping up New Reads November with episode 73. Yes, it's cliche, but time is really flying. After four weeks of chatting about YA and middle grade titles from the more recent past, it's almost time for the SSR podcast to switch back into its usual literary throwback ways, but not before we dig into Justin A. Reynolds' 2019 debut novel, Opposite of Always. In Opposite of Always, we meet high school senior Jack King, a self-proclaimed king of almost who oh-so-relatably seems to come just short of so many of the things he wants. One of those things is a relationship with his best friend, Jill, who's actually started dating their other best friend, Franny. Jack finds new hope and love, however, when he meets college freshman Kate at a party. The two have an immediate connection, but when Kate dies several months later, it feels like he's once again the king of almost, until he finds himself caught in a time loop that brings him back to the beginning of his relationship with Kate each time she dies. Within each successive time loop, he tries to get to the bottom of Kate's mysterious illness earlier so that he has a better chance to save her, but he's also forced to face questions of how best to support the people he loves and how much he's willing to sacrifice in one relationship for the sake of another. In today's episode, we talk about how the author approaches these questions, discuss how the unique time structure affects the reading experience for Opposite of Always, and ponder why it can be so hard for us as grown-ups to buy into the intensity of love stories in some teen pop culture. Today's guest is Emma Betcher, whose claim to fame is her time on Jeopardy and the Jeopardy Tournament of Champions. Emma is too humble to share this in the conversation you're about to hear, but she was the one who ended James Holzhauer's near-record-breaking winning streak earlier this year. That's a pretty big deal. Emma is a librarian in Chicago, and when she reached out to me over the summer, and shortly after her first Jeopardy appearance, to tell me that she was a fan of SSR, it felt a little like my first celebrity endorsement. I'm so grateful to her for joining me on this episode. If you're listening to this episode in real time, you know it's Thanksgiving week, so let me also reiterate how thankful I am to each and every one of you for continuing to listen to and support SSR. I absolutely love producing this show, and having the chance to put together special series like New Reads November reminds me of how amazing it is that I get to keep building this community of book lovers. If you're not following SSR on social media yet, I would encourage you to do so, since you can find me over there talking books and life and podcast quite a bit. We are at SSRPod on Instagram and Twitter, and you can find us on Facebook by searching The SSR Podcast. If you're feeling especially thankful for SSR this Thanksgiving week and beyond, I would also encourage you to show a little extra love for the podcast. No, I'm not asking you to share your mashed potatoes or pumpkin pie, but if you could leave a five-star rating or review on iTunes, that would be much appreciated. You can also support by checking out our SSR merch line at www.ssrpodcast.com shop or by learning more about Patreon at www.patreon.com slash SSRpodcast. Patreon sponsors contribute a few dollars to SSR on a monthly basis in exchange for super cool exclusive rewards, including free merch, monthly newsletters, book club chats, bonus episodes, and more. You can become a patron by contributing as little as a dollar per month. Shout out to all of you Patreon sponsors listening now. Your support makes this show possible. Don't forget that one of the most important ways that you can show your love for the podcast is to help me spread the word about it. Please tell your book-loving friends about the show and post the episodes you're listening to in your Instagram stories. I absolutely love seeing those stories. If you haven't checked out Libro FM yet, let me once again recommend that you do, especially as we approach the season of holiday travels. I've gotten so much great feedback about the platform from the SSR community. I'm a big fan of it myself, too. At the moment, I'm listening to Jonathan Van Ness's Over the Top on Libro FM. Libro FM lets you purchase audiobooks directly from your favorite local bookstore. Choose from more than 100,000 audiobooks, including New York Times bestsellers and recommendations from booksellers around the country. With Libro FM, you'll get the same audiobooks at the same price as the largest audiobook company out there. You know who I'm talking about. But you'll be part of a much different story, one that supports community. SSR listeners can get a three-month audiobook membership for the price of just one month. Go to Libro.fm, that's L-I-B-R-O dot F-M, and enter code SSRPOD when prompted to cash in on that discount. When I shop for audiobooks on Libro.fm, I support my favorite Brooklyn indie, Books Are Magic, but you can choose any store you want. Happy listening! With just one more New Reads November episode left, let's go to the show. Welcome to the SSR Podcast. You may recognize SSR as an elementary school era abbreviation for silent sustained reading, but if you don't, that's okay. What it stands for here is Shit She Read. Each week, we'll crack the binding on an old school read written for kids or teens and talk about it from a kind of grown-up perspective. We'll obsess over heartthrobs, relive the frustrations of middle school, and say an occasional WTF to a beloved author. If we haven't met yet, I'm your host, Allie Hofkosik, freelance writer, lifelong bookworm, and lover of anything covered in rainbow sprinkles. 
So find your favorite reading spot and a glass of wine. We're about to revisit some literary throwbacks right here on the SSR podcast. Hi, Emma. Welcome to SSR. Hi, I'm so happy to be here. You are bringing it home on New Reads November with me. This is the final episode of this very exciting month. It's Thanksgiving week. If you're listening live and in real time, everyone, I hope you're having a great start to your Thanksgiving week. Maybe you're listening to this while you're on the road to family. You're getting prepped to eat turkey and whatever else you love to eat on Thanksgiving. Emma, I would love to spend Thanksgiving with us talking about Opposite of Always. Yeah, I think, you know, this episode's going to come out on Tuesday. We could easily talk about it for three days straight if that's okay with you. No problem. Invite us to your Thanksgiving dinner. We'll continue the conversation. We're great guests. Emma, I'd love if you could tell me a little bit about your claim to fame because I think there's probably a lot of overlap in the fandoms between SSR and a little show that you were on called Jeopardy. And I normally wouldn't put you on the spot, but I do think that our listeners are going to be very interested in your experience on that little famous show. Yeah, I was on Jeopardy um, for the first time um, back in June. Um, I started on June 3rd and had a three-day reign as champion um, before getting dethroned by another worthy champ. And then most recently, um, I was a participant in the Jeopardy Tournament of Champions. Um, it's real, really fun experience. Of course, I'm, you know, stoked whenever a little literature question comes up on the show because, you know, whether it's um, in the studio or playing from home, I feel like that's really my sweet spot. But sadly, YA does not come up as a category as often as I'd like. Jeopardy, listen to our plea. Please include more YA in your questions. It's so important. Yeah, the best is always, of course, the college and the teen tournaments, because then the writers are trying to be a little bit more with it. Not that they're not already, of course, always very cool. But then that's when you get clues about, you know, me or all the dying girl and things like that. Yeah, that's when everybody's trying to be hip. It is also often when I know the answers to more questions. So I always feel a little bit better about myself when I watch the high school and college editions. But I won't make you talk about Jeopardy anymore. And we will talk about this book. We are talking about Justin Reynolds, Opposite of Always. I have to say, I think it's kind of appropriate that this is the last book that we're talking about in New Reads November because I think that my feelings about it might be more complicated than any of the other books that I read from New Reads November. So I think there's room to have a really interesting conversation about this book. But to kick us off, I'd love for you to share a little bit about why this was the book that you picked. We did get a couple of requests for it from the SSR community. So I know that this is one that a lot of people have been reading and talking about. Um, And I just love to know more about why this was your pick. Um, I did not know a lot about this book going in, um, but one of the things I did know about it was time travel. And I was really interested to see um, how that would affect the narrative of this book. When I read YA, I read kind of the straight YA romance. I don't often read fantasy or anything like that. So I was kind of interested to see how this would play with this, you know, a story of between Kate and Jack and their, you know, relationship would play out with these um, different aspects of time travel as well. Yeah, it's a super cool premise. I have to say, too, before we even get into the premise, which I do think is going to take some explaining, because in Mm -hmm. order for listeners who haven't read the book to, like, really understand what we're talking about, we may have to do a little bit more of, like, plot talk than I normally do on the show. I just have to shout out the amazing blurbs that this debut author got. So... On the jacket, we have a blurb from Angie Thomas, the author of a little book called The Hate You Give, who said Jack King is the hero we've been waiting for. We have a blurb from Becky Albertalli, who is the author of Simon vs. the Homo Sapien Agenda and Leah on the Offbeat. She said, wise, heartfelt, and infinitely charming. Like, I already have high expectations just looking at the cover of this book, which is so impressive. And this, again, this is a debut author. The book just came out in March of 2019. So I'm like, Okay, there's got to be something good going on in this book if these amazing celebrated authors have these like high praises for it, which is really cool. Go Justin Reynolds for that. I don't know if readers have the cover or listeners to the podcast have the cover in front of them, but it's a gorgeous cover. It just, I think, really captures the spirit of this book when to see that first moment when they meet. And um, not only does it have those wonderful blurbs from <laughs> Angie Thomas of all people, it's amazing, but I think it does a really good job just capturing all the places the story is going to take you. I do love the cover, and I actually hadn't done a lot of reading about the book before I started it. So it has this sort of like almost painterly, like, 
I don't know. It's this really beautiful depiction of these two teens on a set of steps. And I, I don't know that I even read, like, sorry for any page-turning listeners. I don't know that I'd even read the, like, jacket copy when I, like, started reading the book. But I was like, oh, cool cover. And I, I guess I didn't think that much about what it was depicting. But as I got further into the book, I was like, oh, this is a really cool cover. So I think it's one of those covers that, like, the more you read the book, the more you love it. Um, and the color is also really fun. It actually, that yellow in the background is sort of like SSR yellow, if I do say so myself. Oh, very nice and on theme. <laughs> yes, exactly. Thanks to the cover designers of Opposite of Always. Um, so let's talk about the premise a little bit because it's it's complicated. Mm-hmm. And I just want to make sure that listeners who haven't read the book are on the same page with us. It's about this kid named Jack, who's a high school senior, and he's extremely likable. I think one of the things that's most relatable about him is that he refers to himself as the king of almost. He was almost the valedictorian. He was almost on the basketball team. He was almost like falling in love with his best friend who ended up dating his other best friend. Like he always comes super close to getting the thing that he wants. And I think so many teens can relate to that. Um, I want to talk more as we get further into this conversation about like why we think the author gave him that attribute so specifically and like kept driving it home throughout the book and like how we think that plays into the overall plot. So hold that thought, but let's establish that up front. Like he's the king of almost. The other thing about Jack is that he has these two best friends. We mentioned them briefly before. His best friend Jillian is sort of the girl he he thought he was going to end up with. He's been in love with her forever. Then he has a best friend named Franny who they've also known each other, I think, for like most of their school history. Franny is like basketball star, has all of these scholarship offers from schools all around the country, and Franny and Jillian have been dating, which like kind of puts Jack in an interesting position. He also has this great relationship with his parents. He's an only child, which seems to be like really part of his identity. He talks about being an only child a lot at the top of the book. And here's where things get a little interesting. Jack and Jillian... Jack and Jill have gone to a college visit at Whittier University, which is where they intend to go. And they had a tour guide who I think when they were on the tour, like maybe Jack didn't think much of her, but he meets her again at this party. Her name is Kate. And he very quickly is sort of like taken by her. And she's like kind of quirky. She has a little bit of the like manic pixie dream girl thing going on just in like the way that she speaks to him. He falls for her very quickly at this party and they fall in love over cereal, like early morning cereal at the table at this party. And they have have this little romance. They exchange a few emails. Um, I think a lot of the initial like attraction seems to happen over the emails. He asks her to prom. Fast forward, uh, we find out that she is now dying in the hospital and Jack understandably freaks out. And shortly after she dies in the hospital, he then like falls down the stairs and wakes up to find himself like all the way back at the beginning of the relationship at the party on the stairs that we see pictured on the front of the book, like having that same introductory conversation with her. And this happens over and over again throughout the book, I believe four or five times. And he sort of realizes that like, oh, maybe I'm being put back to the start of the story because it's my job to save Kate so that she doesn't die. At first, he doesn't even know what's wrong with her or why she died in the first place. So that's kind of the time travel element. Do you think I did a good job explaining the premise? I think you did an amazing job. It's yeah, it's a, it's it's a it's a ride. One of the things the book does, which I think is really smart, is it starts you off in the middle of I think the third or fourth timeline, yeah, and then jumps you back to the beginning. So you know what you're getting into, um, even if you haven't read the jacket copy or any reviews. But it's still a huge adrenaline rush at the beginning. I was extremely confused because you're right. We don't actually like meet Jack and get the whole rundown about his life and the King of Almost and all of those things until after a bit of a prologue where he's like smack in the middle of trying to save Kate's life on like attempt three or four. Mm-hmm. And there's this, there's like a police chase and he's pulling a syringe out of his shoe and like trying to stick it into her leg. And you're like, what the heck is going on? Or at least that's how I felt. Um, I don't always do well being put right into the action like that. And it's also been a while since I read a time travel book so I think I had to wrap my head around it a little bit but it was nice to then like ground myself in Jack's day-to-day world at the end of his senior year king of almost with his friends what were your initial impressions of Jack once we sort of step back from that high adrenaline intro and are just like seeing him with his people even though it takes a while then to get back to the time travel the adrenaline is still going just because that's how fast his mind works it, it you know it's very much you know like one thought here one thought there and he's just I loved seeing him with his friends especially um with Franny and um Jillian a little bit too but especially with Franny 
And I think he just, there's a lot of really great dialogue in this book that just has this really nice back and forth with really anyone he's talking to. This is someone like, it'd be fun to have a conversation with for sure. He's a huge dork, but I like that. Yeah, he's a huge dork. He's definitely likable. Um, right away, mm-hmm. I think you're rooting for him. I do think part of that has to do with this whole like king of almost thing because I feel like readers who see themselves as quote unquote nerds can relate to him because he isn't like quite at the top of the heap yet. But readers that like that wouldn't necessarily define themselves that way can also relate to him because they like aren't reading him as this total like introvert who's not social and doesn't like particularly have an interest in having friends. And so I do think that anytime an author puts a character smack in the middle of that social scene, it's really helpful just in terms of reader relatability. And I think that that like works really well with Jack. There's actually a line when he asks Kate to the prom for the first time. Yes. I think I pulled it out here somewhere. He says... Is this where he says he's obscure? Yeah. He says, I'm not popular, but I am not unpopular. I am squarely in the middle, meaning your attendance will draw little to no fanfare because people rarely notice me. I am largely obscure. And I feel like almost all teens can relate to that because no matter how popular or unpopular you are, you feel a little obscure. Yeah. And you even get that a little bit with Jack is talking about his feeling that way, but then you get the relationship with Franny later in the book where he's just like, he's like, I thought Franny had everything. And the Franny thought I had everything. It's really interesting to see both of those guys not being totally confident in their identities or whatever, and just being able to relate to each other in that way without even realizing it. And even Jillian has a dose of that. I think like a lot of readers might look at her as this character who has, she has like the best guy friend and this really cool boyfriend. And there's not a lot of tension between them. Like the three of them get to hang out all the time. She's in this awesome little group of friends where like, it doesn't seem like she often feels at risk of losing either of them, at least in most of the instances that we get to read them go through. Again, there's like four or five different versions of reality that we experience with them. And for the most part, Jillian is like pretty content in all of them. But we do see some insecurity with her where she's like feeling like her relationship with Jack is changing. And Jack is like the one who who feels like she doesn't have a lot of time for him because she's dating Franny. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we think like, oh, you know, she doesn't really like want to hang out with Jack. She's so like in love with Franny, but she admits to Jack like, no, actually, like this isn't how I pictured our senior year. You seem distracted. I have all of this other stuff going on with Franny, but like there's something weird going on between us. So again, like all of these characters, I think from the reader's perspective, seem to have it pretty great like at this point in high school um but there's these little insecurities that are revealed at different points throughout the book and like throughout these different versions of reality that jack is living through yeah yeah we should probably talk about franny's dad at some point i don't know if you want to um but that just broke my heart every every time Uh, every timeline let's talk about franny's dad so they call franny's dad the coupon because he is always cutting out on Franny. When we meet them, the coupon, as I guess we'll refer to him as too, is in jail and almost coming out of jail. And in each of the versions of reality that we see Jack in, Franny is anticipating his dad coming home from jail. And in each of those versions, he's really relying on Jack to like be there to support him in reuniting with his dad. But there's this like really sad backstory where Franny has like worked so hard particularly with basketball to like be this star I mean people worship him they talk about this stack of scholarship offers that he has in his room he's clearly drawn attention from so many people and all that he really wants is attention from his dad yeah it is just heartbreaking to see this guy that just like you can like on every page he's so confident and so assured and whenever the topic of his dad comes up it's like an entirely different person yeah and and when we meet his dad well each version is obviously a little bit different which makes this book kind of hard to talk about right because we have like five versions of the same story but the part with his dad like kind of goes the same way at least the beginning every time like he invites Jack over to have dinner with his dad and his abuela who is really the person who's like responsible for raising him and Jack is like totally down to support his his parents have actually kind of adopted Franny. They go to all of his games and there's sort of an open door policy where Franny's welcome to come to their house whenever he wants. And so I think in some ways, like Jack views Franny as a brother, not only because he actually loves him, but because his parents have that expectation of him too. Like Franny is family and you treat Franny like family. One of the things that Jack has to wrestle with as he's navigating each of these different storylines is the way that the decisions that he makes around Kate 
impact his relationships with his friends, especially Franny, because the choices that he makes seem to have like an especially significant effect on Franny's life, which is really heavy. Um, One of the things that comes up is Jack, in order to raise the money to get care for Kate, because we do find out that she has sickle cell um, and she can't afford the necessary treatments to save her life. I learned a lot about sickle cell actually from this book. Side note, I didn't know very much about it. And Justin Reynolds, the author, does a really good job, I think, of explaining what it is um, in like a really accessible way. And it comes up a few times. So I feel like by the end of it, I kind of had like a firmer grasp on what the disease is really about but Jack like decides that he's going to save her life I think maybe in the second round maybe the third round but the only way that he can think of to afford this really expensive doctor is to place this like extremely like long shot bet on an upcoming basketball tournament because everyone remembers it's a time travel book so he knows that the underdog is going to win this tournament and who does he know who can help him find a bookie? Franny's dad and so he gets into this like kind of weird spot with Franny's dad and because Franny is like really pissed off about the fact that even though the coupon is home he's not like interacting with him he just sort of feels like Jack is sneaking around behind his back he says well Jack says this basically comes down to me asking Franny's dad for help I know I know it's sort of a dick move right While I'd understand Franny feeling betrayed, if he found out I'd gone behind his back and met with his enemy, I'm hoping that if he knew the stakes, he'd offer his support. This is a complicated one. It's so complicated because I think one of the big questions that this book asks is like, and this is such a cheesy way to put it, and I think it's deeper than this in this book, is like, what would you give up? for one person like what would you give up not only like for love which I think is the cheesy maybe cliche overused version of the question but also like what would you give up for the single person that you think you could love in the future and Jack like really has to figure that out like am I willing to give up these other relationships am I willing to hurt my best friend's feelings like to potentially save Kate's life yeah and you don't you know, you don't really get to see him navigate that relationship so much, trying different versions of how much can I tell Franny about his dad. You get that a little bit, but it's interesting to see his trajectory. I think the second time he, or the, the second time he's in the time loop, he starts thinking like, oh yeah, maybe I can save everyone. This is what I was, I can, you know, not just Kate, but I can also repair this relationship between Franny and his dad. And then by the third or fourth time, it's kind of back to the one track mind and like, well, I really hope this works. And then having all these regrets when it doesn't. Franny really bears the brunt of like all of the bad decisions or the misguided decisions that Jack makes. I mean, he obviously like doesn't have bad intentions with any of the choices that he makes. Actually, one of the things that comes up a couple of times is like Jack realizing that sometimes good intentions aren't the thing that's most important. Like sometimes you can have good intentions and that's not ultimately what matters. Like that can still sometimes lead to bad outcomes but I'm trying to think of like the many bad things that happened to Franny over the course of these time loops so yeah yeah, his dad gets arrested because Jack was supposed to like pick up the ice cream for the family he bails because he's too busy hanging out with Kate and then instead Franny's dad goes out to get the ice cream and he gets arrested at the like mini mart or whatever Jack and Franny just get in a couple of like really big fights where they don't speak to each other so Franny is like extremely emotionally affected by the decisions that Jack's made and then in one scene in one of like the worst scenes Franny does get shot Um, and I think that's when Jack realizes like I really need to figure out like how much I'm willing to risk to make this right for Kate it's weird because you know that that particular timeline I think that's the fourth one so it's the second to last one and in some ways, like, it should be this huge deal that Franny's just been shot. And then a couple of pages later, not a couple, but, you know, some, everything resets again. And, you know, Jack has learned something from it. But you feel like there should be much higher stakes or much higher consequences from that, which is one of the odd things about a time travel book is that it does give you so many opportunities to reset like that. Yeah, I guess it gives an author a little bit more room to play because they're not as tied to, like actions having consequences there's Mm -hmm. like you said there's this reset button and so it gives you the chance to test out different outcomes did you find the the structure of this particular time loop thing to be distracting or did you like it like how do you think it affected the pacing because I read a mix in terms of the reviews that are out there the pacing was one of the things that struck me as being a little bit weird about this book and some of it doesn't have to do with the time travel thing at all I mean 
I would be curious because you said he didn't um, read the jacket copy um, if you knew going in that Kate had sickle cell because I knew because I did read the jacket copy but you don't find that out until more than halfway through this book this book is it's long yeah it's 440 pages long and I think I clocked it at page 250 or something where you find out Oh, what is going on? That well. sounds about right. Yes, I did not read the jacket copy. I've gotten into this weird habit with the podcast, and maybe it's just because I've been reading a lot lately. I'm in a bit of a recording marathon right now. So I'm just like, I open the book and I get started. And maybe I should go back to reading the jacket copy. But I did not know that she had sickle cell. My assumption, seeing the fact that she was just like experiencing these different kinds of weakness and fatigue and like these more like generalized symptoms. I was like, maybe she has cancer. Like, I didn't I didn't know. Um, yeah. Because I think that the author smartly kept the symptoms, like, fairly vague. Like, this person is sick, but we don't know what she's sick with. And Jack, sort of with each iteration of the time loop, pushes her a little bit earlier to explain what's going on with her. Because the first time they meet, it doesn't come up at all. Or if it does, it's only because she's waffling on whether or not she actually wants to cut ties with her ex-boyfriend because she's like, oh, he's been with me through so much. Which I think is our first indication that like this girl has been through some stuff. We don't know that it's a physical illness, but obviously in hindsight, we can see that it probably would have been hard for her to walk away from somebody who like already knew about her illness. Like I would imagine that if you're dealing with something like that, it's really scary to start fresh with somebody else to like be afraid to lose somebody different. Like she had a foundation with this guy Xander and he knew what to expect and she wasn't going to have to break somebody else's heart by explaining this to them. So we understand that the first time we meet her, but again, it's like very, very limited, like our knowledge of what's gone on before. And then obviously we see her die in that first time loop. And so Jack in the second round takes it upon himself to figure out what's wrong with her because he sees her in the hospital and he's like putting two and two together and is like, oh, like I should probably find out earlier what's wrong with her so I can help. I pulled out one quote that is sort of his inner monologue after that first restart. He says, I mean, out of all the places for God, the cosmos, whomever, whatever, to plunk me down in the stream of time, why here on a set of decrepit steps with the girl that I almost love, the girl who died now alive and well and annoyed with me for blocking her staircase descent, a girl with zero memory of me or the last four months. Am I supposed to do something different, change something this time around? I mean, it can't be a coincidence that I respond to video gamey right after Kate died. Maybe somehow I'm supposed to help her not die because Kate's future wasn't supposed to end. Maybe everyone replays parts of their lives, but it's so unbelievable that no one talks about it. So that's kind of where we're like understanding what the construct of the book is going to be. Like, all right, he's going to be restarting every time she dies. And I am still undecided if I feel like it was distracting. I don't know how I feel about the pacing. I did like the fact that like with every restart, as you mentioned, we're getting closer to finding out about Kate's sickle cell. Like I liked knowing that Jack was understanding that he needed to start asking different questions earlier on in their relationship. I liked sort of being able to use my own deductive reasoning to make guesses about what it was. So I liked the way that that played out. And I think that it was really smart that for the most part, each successive time loop was shorter in terms of like actual page Mm -hmm. count than the one before. I think maybe there was one in the middle that was longer. Um, But for the most part, at least we're not having to go through like every excruciating detail of that four to six month period that Jack's living. But I, I don't know. I did... I did find it a little bit harder. I was less invested, I would say, in some ways with each time loop just because I was like, okay, like I know exactly what's going to happen. And yeah, I'm excited to see if he can save her, but I I was sort of struggling to be as invested. Um, And I was just just frustrated because I was like, I don't know what's going to happen. Like, I don't know how he can fix this. Right. It's such an interesting thing that this is kind of the, this is the way that Kate dies. Because normally, you know, if I heard this premise, I would assume that it was something that there was like a very human element of control over, mm-hmm. you know, where if, you know, if she was in a car accident, for example, and you would expect Jack to be able to kind of control that and like stop the car or pull Kate out of the way just in time. But this, you know, sickle cell, it just seems like something that seems so insurmountable in the beginning or when you first find out about it. And it's, 
how on earth does this time loop ever end? And I think that is one of the really interesting things that I was, you know, I was um, reading up a little bit about sickle cell because of this book. And then I was talking with someone I know that's a nurse. And the first thing that they did when I um, asked them, you know, what do you know about sickle cells? They just, you know, they drew a circle in the air because they said that is, that's just a kind of a cycle of being in and out of hospitals and in and out of pain. And I think that can be, you know, the time travel, I could see it also as just kind of being a way to say, well, this is what it's like to kind of have this chronic condition that there's always something that you're going to have to deal with here. Mm. It's like the cyclical nature of Jack's time travel acting as a parallel to the cyclical nature of Kate's illness. Mm -hmm. I hadn't even thought about that. That's a really good point. I think it's also worth noting that the author makes a point through Jack's mom to explain that sickle cell is especially prevalent in the African-American community. Um, And again, like... Also worth noting that Justin Reynolds is an own voice as author. And so there's a lot of diversity in this book, which is awesome. And I I thought that it was interesting that we do get like several paragraphs where Jack's mom is explaining that African-American people are more prone than others to sickle cell. I didn't know that. Again, like I learned so much about this disease from this book. And I think it's just like worth a shout out. We see in these New Reads November books so much more attention to diversity and such like a more open conversation about diversity and about different cultures and like the straightforward approach to, yes, people who are African-American are more prone to this like very scary disease. I don't think that's something that would have been spoken about so directly in a book maybe even 10 years ago. So um, that's like a small detail, but I wanted to note it. Yeah. I don't know that I would enjoyed reading about sickle cell. It's the wrong word for it, but I'm, I am thankful that I had the op- opportunity and was encouraged to learn more about it because of this book. I don't think I've ever read a book that featured sickle cell as like a main plot element. Have you? No, me neither. Usually, I mean, you would think often it's like something I think that people are more aware of, like leukemia. Like I do feel like there are sort of a handful of illnesses that authors tend to pick from when they're setting up their characters for these really tragic ends. Um, So it's neat that Justin Reynolds thought to think about something else. And I do wonder if he was deliberately looking for something that he could point to as like being more prevalent in the African-American community. I'd love to hear what he had to say about that. What did you think more generally about Kate? I have to say that the thing that I struggled with, and I see, I see your facial expression. So I think maybe we agree. I was having a lot of trouble buying in to the intensity of their relationship. And when I went back through all of my highlights today as I prepared to chat with you, I did see a little bit more of it in their email exchanges. Like you see that they're flirting. So they they met at this party and they had like a romantic, it felt like this one night like magical encounter. You know, they do the serial thing. They have these really fun conversations. She tells him about crafting, which I think is actually a great term, which is when you're both crying and laughing at the same time. And I might start using that word in my own life. So they have like some fun conversations and it's a little magical, but it was not as magical as I think maybe Jack remembered it being, which that happens a lot when you're in high school. Sometimes you have your memory of a situation doesn't necessarily match the reality of it, but his feelings for her grew so intensely. And the only way that I could explain it when I was going back through my book today was like the flirtatious emails, but I just, I couldn't, I couldn't buy it. Even with each of the time loops, I didn't get it. What did you think? I understand it from Jack's perspective in that if, you know, if you did have this relationship with this girl and, you know, high school relationships are already kind of intense, but then that happens and then you get sent back in time and you think it's to save her. I can see where that would strengthen your attachment. I did not get Kate's kind of going along with it just because she's in college. Uh, We've mentioned this, but he's, I mean, look, and you know, he's great, but, (laughs) but but he's a high school senior and she's, you know, and she's a college freshman. It's not like she's a senior in college, which would be, I think that would be a little weird, but I was kind of wondering what's the appeal of this particular guy where you meet him at a party and then you have this long distance relationship And then I wasn't sure that I quite bought the attachment on her side that this one night of like epic cereal eating was going to be enough. Yeah, I I just couldn't get past it for a lot of the book. And because the whole book is built on him trying to save her life over and over and over again, I would say like kind of it made the experience of reading the book like a little bit less 
it just wasn't as convincing for me as it could have been because I think the premise is really cool. But I wish the foundation of their relationship had been a little bit different. I think your point is a good one in that like we can certainly buy into Jack's obsession with her. She is super sparkly. Like there's something about her personality that is very appealing and I can see how you would be drawn to her and she is older and there's a novelty to like meeting an older person at a party who's interested in you um, and I think even like the distance and like the romance of having to send emails like all of that's very exciting and I can see how a kid like Jack would be intrigued by that especially because he's dealing with the fact that this girl that he's been in love with forever Jillian is now like off limits to him so mm-hmm. I think that like putting myself back in my high school shoes I can understand how your attention could turn very quickly to somebody who is sparkly and you just commit to them fully Um, but it's not as if they were swapping emails for a week or two and then all of this goes down as you said like she's bought into a relationship with this guy for a couple of months and it's so intense that like he feels as though it's reciprocal enough that he is going to continue to save her life over and over again so I I just I guess I wish that the nature of the relationship had been spelled out a little bit differently. I feel like I didn't know Kate very well. Like, Mm -hmm. there's a lot of telling and not a lot of showing. We hear a lot from Jack about how great she is. Even his friends, you know, buy into their relationship pretty quickly. But it's all just kind of stated. We don't see that much about who Kate is, at least not till the end of the book. And then we get to meet her family and, like, see a little bit more about where she comes from. But I guess I just, like, I didn't get it for a lot of the book. I don't feel like I really got to know Kate. I would actually be really interested in reading this book kind of from her perspective, I guess. Just again, we were talking about sickle cell and how we, you know, neither of us knew that much about it going in. I don't know how that would work with the time travel element if, you know, what timeline do we pop in on her? But yeah, Kate was difficult for me to get a read on for sure. I feel like what the author didn't explore so much that would have been interesting is like the extent to which her sparkly personality has been informed by the struggles that she's had to go through because if she's somebody who's been in and out of the hospital for her whole life that builds a very certain kind of character in a person and I wish that we'd had a few more scenes maybe where we got a glimpse of that like maybe where she was sharing more explicitly how all those experiences had affected her because when I think about it and I step back and like consider the situation intellectually I'm like oh wow that kind of a teenagehood, like childhood, all of that, like really must either make you this like very shy, introverted person or force you to be your sparkly, bubbly self all the time. And I don't see why that couldn't have been presented perhaps at the forefront somehow. Yeah. And I think there are a couple choices she makes that are a little opaque to me. And I think, you know, neither of us are saying that we want to reduce her to just her illness, but we want to see how it impacts her life. And I think that's especially true during the times when she, you know, she's got this um, boyfriend Xander that she's not quite, you know, broken up with. So that'd be interesting. And then also, you know, she does keep her um, condition really quiet um, early on in the book and doesn't tell Jack a lot about it. And I don't think we ever got a, you know, explanation either, you know, on the page or just kind of knowing enough about her character to know why that was a decision she would have made. Now that you mentioned, I kind of would have liked to know more about Xander because he was one of the most illuminating parts of her, I think. Like the fact that she was hesitant to let go of him, the fact that she was still attached to him, even though they had, I think, officially broken up when we meet her the first time you know the fact that we meet him briefly he's hanging out at Kate's dorm when Jack goes to pick something up or drop something off there like I think the fact that she's kept somebody like him in her life even when maybe it would have been the right thing to do to cut him out of her life maybe says more about her and her personal life than like so many of the other things that Jack tells us throughout the book yeah and when I was reading this book I was also kind of wondering is Xander also a time traveler like how many time traveling boyfriends does she have maybe this guy is another one intrigue yeah it I mean it didn't turn out that way on the page but maybe there's some fanfic out there that you know has a little little more perspective on what's going on in his head if it's not we should be the ones to write it Absolutely. Although I don't, uh, Xander, it's kind of insufferable. I don't know how much I could uh, get into his perspective or how long I could stay there. Listeners, if you've written any of this fanfic or you're aware of it, send it our way. We want to read it. Um, I did find him to be like a really interesting character and mm-hmm. as crappy as he was, kind of would have liked to know more because I think like Kate is portrayed as this 
kind of like idealized girl. And I sort of like that she, I don't know, I think the fact that she dated this guy who seems like to be not that great makes her seem a little bit more real. Yeah. And I think that's, that's definitely true. And that, you know, why, why would you put up with this guy? And I think Xander also is kind of an interesting way for the author to get the message of the book across, which is, you know, what does it mean to be there for someone? And it's not quite what Xander's doing, even if he's in her life for, you know, for however many timelines. Yeah. He makes some comments to Jack about like, yeah, like this is what I'm supposed to do. Like, I guess I should go to the hospital. Like, you know, this is the job to be her boyfriend. And I, I guess that if you've been with somebody for that long, maybe Kate is just like comfortable and like okay with the fact that that's how he processes all of this. And, you know, maybe she doesn't think she deserves more, which she obviously does. Mm-hmm. And he thinks that he's like doing what he's supposed to do by showing up. And I, I guess some people grow up thinking that being there for somebody is just about literally being there for someone and Jack is trying to like work out what it means to him and Xander is obviously like the total foil to the kind of guy that Jack wants to be. I want to talk a little bit more about Jillian because I was fascinated with this dynamic and I actually as much as I loved Kate well I'm not going to say that I loved Kate I was intrigued by Kate. I was intrigued by Jack's feelings toward her. There there were parts of my heart that called out for Kate. Let's say that. I think I just want to be nice to Kate. I don't want anybody to feel like I'm kicking Kate out of the book. But there is a part of me that would have been really interested in a book with a similar time travel structure where Jack is continuing to go back in time to like figure out this dynamic just with Franny and Jillian. I mean, the stakes would have been lower, obviously, because nobody's dying and... Because of Kate's condition, there's this urgency in each of these time loops that obviously like helps move the book forward. But I think that the dynamic between Franny, Jillian, and Jack is so relatable to so many teen readers, both mm-hmm. in terms of like the friendships um, and like the dynamics that Jack is managing with Franny and his dad, and just like trying to like make sure that his parents are happy with the friends that he's choosing, like all of those normal friendship concerns, but also his unrequited love for Jillian. And I think one of the time loops that was most interesting to me, even though it was super sad, was I think it was like the second to last one where he, I think it was right after Franny had gotten shot, and when Jack starts the next time loop, he's basically like, I don't think it's worth it to try to save Kate. I realize that whenever I do that, I have to give something up. One of my friends gets hurt. Maybe like I shouldn't be risking everything for love. So he doesn't ever even introduce himself to Kate when he comes back to the beginning of their relationship and sees her on the steps. He just goes straight to Jillian and Mm -hmm. professes his love to her and kisses her. And they end up having like a very mediocre relationship. Um, Yes. It's like super boring. I'd say it's pretty typical of a lot of high school relationships where you're like going out with somebody and I say that in quotes and like hanging out at school and you don't really know what it means to be in a relationship but you think you kind of like each other and so you're gonna go with it but Jack has at least like given it a shot and I just would have been fascinated to like read a couple more time loops about what happens if Jack approaches that situation differently because I don't know I feel like unrequited love to or from or about or with a friend is such a common experience for so many teens and just to watch somebody negotiate that in different ways and live out the consequences of it would have been really fascinating for me that's true even though the dynamic with Jillian is probably one of the first that you're introduced to in this book you actually don't get him ever having to dwell on that unrequited love possibility because either he dates Kate right away and then forgets really all about his romantic interest in Jillian or in this fourth timeline he he dates her and as you said it's kind of a hilariously boring relationship except for of course again the impact on poor Franny Um, Franny he always has to deal with the crap yeah and I think that is the timeline where he gets shot so that's a particularly rough one for him oh yeah you're right that is the one because yes no you're totally see this is what i'm talking about it's confusing to recap this because Mm -hmm. they all happen so close together and there's these like small variations that create these major consequences within each timeline um and here i am messing it up on my own podcast but i i really like 
bought into the potential relationship between Jillian and Jack more than I did the potential relationship between Jack and Kate. And obviously I was wrong because we see them having this very boring thing going on. But I guess, like, maybe it's my own experience. My best friend in high school was a guy and we never, like, dated or, you know, did anything like that. But I guess I related to them in some way because we, like them, were, like, super achievers in high school. Um, We worked really hard to get good grades. Like, we were in all of those groups. And often he was dating a girl and it would be, like, the three of us hanging out together. And so I could sort of relate to Jack in some ways where you're the one who's, like, hanging around with the couple and you're not really sure how you're supposed to feel about it and um I just think this idea of like but what if like what if it had been us that one time is really interesting and like you know my friends and I even to this day sometimes are like what would have happened if that one night when we thought about kissing we kissed what would have happened and so I'm just maybe again maybe it's like me bringing my own stuff to the story but that friend group and those questions in Jack's head really resonated with me and I I think that that could have made for an interesting book all on its own and I I want to know what happens to both Jillian and Franny and luckily when the book ends it's a happy ending they're all going to go to Whittier together and Kate's there too and like they all we think are going to live happily ever after I think Jack has such like a naive you know expectation of life I think at one point he's like yes and the four of us will get an apartment together and it will be great oh dear no yeah you can tell he's an only child because it's like that's not someone that's ever had to put up with roommates seriously what did you think of his parents and his relationship with his parents I loved his parents. I don't, I mean, how could you not? Yeah. And I think one of the really interesting things, because like you said, this book was confusing. So I was, you know, charting it out to see like what events are different in different timelines. And I think the 30th anniversary or not necessarily the party, but just the fact of it, because that is one of the events is that his parents have been together for 30 years and they're celebrating that with this big party. I think that's one of the only ones that occurs in every single timeline. Like, not even graduation for these high school kids. Or prom, yeah. We don't see prom in every loop. Yeah. I think his parents are just so lovely to watch together. And it was clear from that event happening so often in the characters talking about it. Every kid in that book is, like, not taking those adults for granted, which I thought was really lovely to see. Uh, Franny's parents as well. But um, even, you know, Jillian, I think, um, has some issues with her parents. And Jack's parents are just kind of... The cool ones and just a really lovely example. But yeah, they like them. split a bottle of wine with Jack. And I think at each version of the 30th anniversary, there's wine involved. And they're like, yeah, like, let's just hang out and have a bottle of wine. Um, and they have like very real conversations with him and they take him to task when he's not doing the right thing. But I think you make a really good point about the fact that like their anniversary is so ever-present in each of the individual timelines, but also in the book as a whole. Like, we're constantly reminded of the fact that they've been together for 30 years. And Jack is 18. Um, Mm -hmm. So when you think about it, like, they were together for over a decade before he was born. So they've lived a lot of life, just the two of them, which is neat. We don't often see that in books. Um, So I liked that. And I think as hard as I may be being on Jack on this whole question of like, well, why are you so head over heels for this girl that you barely know that you're willing to time travel for her and like throw all of your other relationships away? I guess for a kid who grows up watching these two individuals who are both like as people, they're awesome and cool and smart and I want to hang out with them myself. But together they have this really healthy relationship and they are like so in love. Um, Like there's a few scenes where Jack's essentially like get a room. Like it's too much stop being in love in my face. So I guess he has probably been raised to some extent at least to be a romantic. And so he's probably just like digging this whole story with Kate a little bit because his expectation is that he's going to have a love story like his parents. Yeah, that's probably true. I haven't, I hadn't thought about it that way. He mentions early on in the book, like he feels that his parents have such big expectations for him, but I took that to mean, you know, like academic achievement or going on to a great career or something. And then it, it's true that having that example of like, oh, you guys have really, you know, he appreciates that they really have something special. It makes sense that he kind of want to go after that himself. I guess also like he has these two friends who are both dealing with heavier family issues. You know, Jillian, we don't know a lot about what's going on with her parents, but it seems as though her dad has had some sort of a midlife crisis and has disappeared and her mom is not taking it well for obvious reasons. And then we spoke more extensively about what Franny's going through with his dad um, being out of the picture and like being just horribly unsupportive of his son. So I do think that Jack like is, he realizes how lucky he is to have parents 
like he does. I do want to go back, though, briefly to a conversation that we touched on before about, again, this idea of him being the king of almost. And Mm -hmm. I, I wasn't sure what to make of this as I got further into the book because I'm like, why did Justin Reynolds find this to be like such an important part of his character? And how do we think that that sort of informs the way he's moving through this particular plot? Like, why did the author think that that was so critical in order for us to really like experience this time travel journey with him? Yeah, it's hard to say because when I look at the time travel thing too closely, it feels like he gets infinite chances to try at things. And I feel like often that is the opposite message that you have from a book, which is basically basically like, you don't know how many chances you're going to get. Life is short. You got to, you know, uh, take your shot while you can. But with him being the king of almost, I didn't know quite what to make of that. Like, did he not, was the message that he wasn't trying hard enough at the beginning of the book? And now he's kind of learned the value of, you know, again, just being there for people. And what does that mean? I also, I think the parts of this book that stood out the most to me were just kind of like the very everyday moments, even though there are these really high stakes and serious things like Kate's illness and like Franny getting shot at one point. Like there's... I think a lot of just kind of delight in the everyday and how, you know, you don't really know what's going to happen and if your future is going to be as glamorous as you think it might be. So kind of being the king of almost, it felt like sometimes, I think sometimes he kind of has to take away that sometimes that isn't so bad because it means that you did try and it, maybe it didn't work out, but it's it still means a lot for the effort and the relationships that you have when you were trying. I'm about to read a very long excerpt. I'm sorry. Okay. I'm sorry, Emma. I'm sorry, everybody. But this is, I think, really important. And it speaks to what you're talking about. It's really one of the, like last big chunks of text that we get in the book. Spoiler alert, I think we've already sort of implied this, but Jack ultimately saves Kate's life and they're going to live happily ever after and he's reflecting on this whole experience and he says mostly I was just thankful for the time I got to be with her, wondering if and when it, whenever it was, finally stopped if it would be the end of me too. I guess the reason I'm telling you all of this is because I don't want you to misunderstand this story because it's important for you to understand that I'm no hero. I didn't save Kate. She didn't need saving. If any Thing she saved me. She taught me that almost doesn't have to be a bad thing. You can try your hardest to change something, exhaust every possibility, and sometimes it's still not enough. But almost means you were there. You did all you could. In the end, it's the smallest decisions that matter most, the seemingly insignificant choices we make every day. To be honest with the people we love and with ourselves, to let go of the things we can't control and appreciate the things we can. Sometimes it's hard to see how much these things mean, but they add up. They mean everything. Take it from someone who's seen the future. Well put, Jack yeah, and like Justin Really Harris. wrapping it up nicely with that. <laughs> yeah. Do you feel like that does speak to like the moral lesson in this book? It does happen at that very significant place where I was always told to restate the thesis statement of my essay. So yes. True. Um, Shout out to all our English teachers. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. I I think that's consistent with definitely the themes that he's developing in this book. And Kate has a really interesting line, too. We talked earlier about um, how all of these kids have some insecurities and, um, you know, Jack definitely feels like he's the king of almost, but everyone else is going through their own stuff, too. But he's telling her about the time travel thing. It's not quite clear. I don't think she believes him, but she's asked, like, why me? Like, am I going to be president of the United States? Like, what's going to happen? Like, why why am I important? Mm-hmm. And he's just like, I don't know. I mean, obviously he loves her, but right. it's not really clear what, like, the big stakes are for this or if there are any. Yeah, and she's like, why am I the person that gets all these chances? And, like, why are you the person who's going to risk everything for me all of these times? Did it matter to you, like, why this happened to him? Like, he, there's, I think he has a line right before that very long excerpt I just read, so I'm not going to, like, quote another thing to you, but he does say something along the lines of, like, I can't explain why this happened. I probably will never know. I found myself at times throughout the book being, like, I do kind of wish that I had an explanation and I guess that would have required like, you know, some sort of weird encounter with somebody who could put a spell on him or, you know, it would have required a bit of magical realism or something a little bit more explicit. Do you think it matters? Like, were you looking for that at all? At first, I definitely, I don't know if I was looking for it, but because I expected it this time travel thing to be more of, you know, a metaphor, I guess. I thought, you know, like, oh, that sounds like a really beautiful way to talk about grief and like memories of someone. And then, but it's not obviously in the book, it's just literal action and time travel. Yeah. 
And so there was kind of this question of, but why? And, you know, and is there some larger, like, what are the rules of this fantasy universe that I'm in now? I think I was okay with it being kind of unexplained and just accepting that, okay, this book was probably never going to be set up to give that to me in the first place. I was reading a little bit online that, you know, some people were wondering after reading the book and this section where Jack also says, like, by the way, like, I'm just like giving you the highlights. And there were actually, you know, 20 other timelines that I didn't talk about where a lot of people were reading that and were wondering, oh, is this all fake? Like, is this all happening in Jack's head? And Kate actually died the first time. And this is just kind of a weird, I don't know, like kind of, it was all a dream situation. I had a Um, moment like that too, where I was like, maybe he's the one who just died. And this is like how he's experiencing the afterlife. Like he almost had this amazing first love and this is sort of how he's coping with losing that. I had that thought too, but I, it didn't hit me later on. It was like more toward the beginning. I think maybe even like the first time loop where I was like, maybe this is his afterlife. Yeah. And that's what he thinks at first too, right? Cause yeah. he falls down a flight of stairs and then he wakes up at that party again. He says like, Oh, okay. I guess this is, this is it. Like that's like, that's that mystery solved. Um, Here I am uh, forever. Yeah. At this weird party with the cereal. Yeah. But I agree. I didn't really think about it at the end. I pretty much took it at face value that, yes, this time travel had happened within the world of the novel. And I was never really keen to know the great mechanism of why or why these characters. Yeah. I guess it depends on the kind of reader you are. I'm sure there are some readers mm-hmm. who, like, didn't care and some readers who, like, maybe even couldn't finish the book because they were so frustrated not to know the reasoning behind it. But I'm sure that's just a personal preference thing. So, as you know, because you listen to the podcast, this is the part of the episode where I normally ask, like, how did this hold up with your memories of it when you were a kid? Obviously, we can't ask that question on New Reads November. So instead, on New Reads November, we talk about what we think this book says about the sort of progress that YA and Kidlet is making over the last few decades. Like, what do we think this book has done successfully that books written 10, 20, 30, 40 years ago did not do so successfully? Yeah, I think about the books that I read when I was, you know, an actual teen and not just kind of like sneaking over to that section in the library um, the way I do now. And I think they felt like they were much more kind of in a bubble of like this could be happening like in maybe not you know, any time or any place, but it didn't really feel like there was this connection to a larger context. Whereas for this book, you do get, um, you know, again, we talked about how there's some information here about sickle cell and how it affects a lot of people and not just Kate. And then it's a very, and that and the author deals with it very specifically in this book. And, you know, there's different other circumstances where it's not necessarily like there's a lot of pop culture references or anything, but it feels very connected to a wider world somehow of, you know, these are, it reflects um, issues that are happening to a lot of kids or a lot of teens, both with the illness. And we talked again about the timeline where Franny, someone calls the police on him because I think he's an intruder and, and then is shot. And there's just little ties like that too. This isn't just some like isolated bubble of a love story, but it actually intersects with all these real life things because that's what real life is. Like that stuff doesn't go away because you're in love and you're in high school. I echo all of that. I think that this book, as we mentioned briefly before, like the diversity in this book is not something that Mm -hmm. we would have seen in a book probably even like 15 years ago, maybe 10 years ago. I think the other thing that I appreciated about this book that I don't see in a lot of the older stories that I read for the podcast is the diversity of relationships that it talks about. Like it's not just about like a love story or about a friendship or about your relationship with your family. I think a lot of older books kind of focus on one relationship at a time. But you're talking about how this world isn't isolated. And I think in a similar way, like no single one of Jack's relationships gets to be isolated. Like each one affects the others. I think that's something that it's hard to learn as a teen that like the way that you treat your parents is going to affect the way that you have a romantic relationship or it might affect the way that your parents see you and give you like the freedom to explore that romantic relationship. The same with your friends, like the way that you interact with your friends is not in a vacuum with your romantic interests and your family. Um, So I like that. I like the fact that Jack had this like very well-rounded world of different characters and relationships that he was managing. And I think that that's like a relatively new phenomenon or at least a relatively new phenomenon to be done well. And I think Justin Reynolds does that really well. Yeah. And I would add to that to say that there's a lot of nuance to the types of relationships. The fact that each of these teens has a different relationship with their parents, for example, I think that's something that you 
wouldn't really see um, probably in older YA as well. I agree. Well, I feel like my thoughts on this book are still kind of complicated. I have a few more things to work out, but I feel like this has helped me a little bit. So thank you for working through all of this with me on air. It was a pleasure. And my feelings on this book were quite complicated as well. So I appreciated the chance to talk about it. I'm glad it's not just me. What else have you been reading? Maybe things that you feel less complicated about that you've been loving and would recommend to our SSR listeners, especially as they're maybe traveling home for Thanksgiving or getting on a plane? Like, what should they be reading for these cozy holiday times? Oh, yikes. I didn't think about this in the terms of the cozy perspective. Um, it's okay. But- it doesn't have to be cozy. Like, anything can be made cozy if it's a really good book, right? That's true. A good book is a good companion no matter what season that you're in. Things I've been really loving lately. I live in Chicago and the Chicago Public Library like book of the year basically is The Sixth Extinction, which is a nonfiction book that goes into both natural history, but also where, you know, human activity is kind of taking the climate and the environment and the impact it's having on that, which as you can tell by the title is, uh, you know, that's, that's something to be concerned about. But um, I found it really informative and well-written. I don't know if by the time this comes out, out that the National Book Award will be announced yet, but I was really pleased to see one of my favorite nonfiction books made the shortlist for this year, which is David Troyer's The Heartbeat of Wounded Knee, which I thought was just really excellently written nonfiction and, again, something where I learned a lot. Well, I will include links to both of those books in the show notes for this episode, as well as a link to Opposite of Always. Listeners, if we haven't made it clear, we're, we're just undecided. So if you haven't read the book, read the book, get in on this conversation with us, help us work out our feelings the more the merrier on this one Emma thank you so much for your time it was really fun talking with you it's really fun thank you for having me bye bye thanks so much for listening to the SSR podcast check out our website at www.ssrpodcast.com for show notes and other information And be sure to connect with us on social media for updates on upcoming episodes, behind-the-scenes inside scoop, and some good old-fashioned book talk. Find us at SSRPod on Instagram and Twitter, and search SSR Podcast on Facebook to join the group. To reach out directly, you can send me an email at hellossrpod at gmail.com. If you're loving the show, it would mean so much if you could subscribe, leave a five-star review, and share your thoughts with a comment. And don't forget to tell your friends, too. In the meantime, happy reading. I'll see you next time on the SSR Podcast.